it started for me, right, April 15, 1990. We were married July 1st, 1987. For the men in this room, you need to remember that when they ask you. Um, my son was born uh, 17 months later, 1988. Um, 89, God began to stir and, and make moves in my life. But the minute my son was born, uh, we were thrusted into a world of medical profession. We were indoctrinated. Uh, two days after he was born, he had to immediately go into the hospital. Um, tests were made, and we discovered that he had a condition um, that was rare. Um, I don't know about anybody here, but it's a little agonizing when you come face to face with that reality. Um, 89, again, God, we were in and out of hospitals regularly, going back and forth all the time. Um, there was a moment there where my wife uh, called me, and he was at St. John's Hospital. They, they've closed it since, so don't fear St. John's anymore. Um, but his IV had infiltrated. You don't know what that means when you're, you know, you're a hard stick. I'm talking like language people don't understand, right? But if you're a hard stick, right? Like I would go to the hospital with him, and they would see my veins and say, you got great veins, but you couldn't find a stick in Chris. And they got really creative, and they tried to put an IV in here. And they did. Um, but my wife called me hysterically because it had infiltrated. Anybody know what that means? The, the, the line moved, and somehow whatever they were feeding him got into under his skin, and he looked like someone had beat him up really bad. I got there um, by the glory and grace of God. I had a couple of people I knew. Um, they made some moves. Uh, we had a flying squad come in from LIJ. Anybody know what a flying squad is? It's just paramedics that come and they take them and put them in this little incubator case and transport it to LIJ. Within a few minutes, they were taking care of him. God began to use those circumstances in my life to bring me to a point where in 1990, I realized I was a sinner in need of a savior. I, no one told me I had to. No one forced me. No one said, this is what you have to do. I was in a church service the week before, and as a direct result, my heart began to be stirred. Um, I came back the following week. By the way, it was Easter Sunday of that year, 1990, that I made this long walk to the front of the church. And I think I walked a lot faster than I'm talking about, but it seemed like everything slowed down. Now, I'm talking to you about my experience. I don't know what your experience is, but this was my experience. I walked to the front of the church, dropped myself at the altar. Yes, altar, not a stage. It was an altar. Threw myself on the steps of the altar. Nobody laid hands on me. Nobody was praying for me. I was crying uncontrollably. Like something lifted. There's something that shifted inside of me at that moment. They just left me there. They let me cry to myself. God was doing something in my life. He was breaking me at that moment. And what he did began to shift my mind and my thoughts. And I just cried uncontrollably. And I just got up and we left the service. Fast forward, that moment propelled me into service for the Lord. I began to teach and I began to learn. I began to pray. I began to grab a hold of God's word. Like I began to dive into it headlong because I wanted to know what had happened to me and what now I was supposed to be doing. That's what I did. But along the way, my son still was sick. A lot of hospital visits, a lot of concerns. A lot of nights, my wife stayed with him. A lot of days, I had to hold him down while they poked and prodded him. And then as years went on, you know, a couple of years passed. 
I was doing a service like this, and right after the service, uh, my family member came to tell me that my father had been shot and that he died on the way of being transported to the hospital. Fast forward that event. And a couple of men in uniform walked up the lawn to my mother's house, knocked on her door to inform her that her son had been killed in the war, my younger brother. Fast forward, my mother-in-law, who I believe prayed me into the kingdom, dies on her sofa. Fast forward, my little sister succumbs to breast cancer and dies also. Two months later, my stepfather dies in his sleep. No one is exempt from suffering. I was in Christ. I was doing things for the Lord. And, and I, I thought I, everything was good. Everything was well. But suffering doesn't pick and choose. Some of you in this room can stand up here and share a similar story. Some of you are still going through a long, dragged-out illness. Some of you are still agonizing the loss of a loved one. Some of you are still in a place where you're mm, uncomfortable. And it feels like you're suffering. But here's what I know. That suffering is part of the plan. And the plan brings suffering. So if you're thinking, man, I don't know. I, I don't want to sign up for this kind of stuff. <laughs> See, you're going to suffer whether you're in Christ or not. And what we learned in these sufferings, in these moments that we were going through in our lives, was that I wasn't alone. We weren't alone. That God was with us every step of the way. The moments you think that are most difficult, God doesn't leave you, doesn't go on vacation, he doesn't check out. He doesn't say, hey, I'll see you later, handle this one, yeah, you're on your own. No, he's with you. And what began to happen with us is our perspective changed. Every time we went to the hospital, we didn't moan anymore. We said, God, what do you want us to do? And my wife began to speak to the people that were next to the bed. And we began to talk to the people that were there. We began to look at it as an opportunity that God was setting up for. Now, mind you, we agonized over things. Chris was still a hard stick. They cut him everywhere. Down here, they finally put a port in his chest with the hope to access his main line. Anybody know that? They put a port in his chest. I fell asleep. I'm supposed to be watching him. I wake up and there's blood everywhere. He had reached in and pulled out the port. This agony and suffering, we're not exempt from it. I just shared briefly. I can go on and on and on, but guess what? I've learned how to suffer well because of Christ, because he is with us. Because he walks alongside us and sometimes carries us in this moment. James begins to speak into this. James has been talking to us throughout this whole service. And, and, and not only the service, but throughout the book. Look, every single part. You know what he talked about in the first chapter that we read the started this? He says, profiting from trials. He says, loving God under trials. Qualities needed in trials. Um, doers, not hearers. Beware of personal favoritism. Like, he's been talking to us. Why? Because we've been in a series about this is us. And James wrote to a group of people way back then. But now, listen to me. That same word is available to us today. 
So he's teaching believers and he's saying, this is now how you should act based on your faith. It hurt. Every single thing I've shared with you hurt. Every single moment hurts. But you know what? I've learned to lean into God. I lean to trust in Jesus. Because if not, you know what we do? We reach for something. We, we reach for something to kind of uh, ease the pain. And I got to tell you something. That's not the way to go. Some of us stick our head in the ground like the ostrich and we go into denial and we say, no, 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 that's not going to happen. No, 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 that's not happening. No, no, that's not. No, it's happening. It's happening. And we need to be able to embrace those moments, not only because of what's happening, but because of the opportunity that it's going to afford us. It's part of the plan. Amen. He goes on all the way. Faith without works is dead. He talks about the untamable tongue. We, we heard that sermon here. Uh, pride promotes strife. He talked about that. Heavenly versus demonic wisdom. We talked about that. Rich oppressors. Last week, Zach shared about the oppression and how the people who are in power exploit those that are not in power. We talked about that here. As you have leveraging what God has provided for you to help someone get out from their condition. I mean, the reason you have is not so you can flaunt it. The reason you have is not so you can pound your chest and say, look what I've done, look what I've got. No, the reason you have is because God has been gracious to you. Amen? It's another thing we do around here. We stand up for the reading of God's word. So at this time, can we all stand, please? Praise the Lord. Should be on the screen soon. We'll be reading James chapter 5, verse 7 through 12. You also have it in your bulletins. Um, that's the way we try to get the word into you. But if you've been around for a little while, you should make an investment in a Bible. Just a thought. You know? Just a thought. Why? It's the word of God. You need to know it because the only way you can defend yourself against the wiles of the enemy it's the only way. The scriptures read as follow. It says, therefore, be patient, brethren, to the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes be yes. And you know, no, lest you fall into judgment. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. James is the brother of Jesus. One thing you have to understand about James is that he didn't believe while Jesus was around. He believed afterwards. He came to uh, Christ in the same way that Paul came through a revelation and he began to follow and teach and preach. He was an early leader of the Jerusalem church, but he had witnessed suffering firsthand because he had seen his brother 
being persecuted, but also being crucified. He wrote to the early church, the early Christian church as they were forming. They were coming out of a pagan culture. They were coming out of a lifestyle that didn't know God. And he was now trying to help them to understand what it was all about. Hence, the book of James begins to speak about things that they used to do, but they can't do anymore. Amen? But when you look at the text in verse 7, the word opens up and it says, therefore. And we already know, therefore. We know that we have to go before that to understand why he's saying that. So in verse 6, it says specifically that there was something going on, and it reads like this in verse 6. And Zach touched on it last week, but it's important because in verse 7 opens up with a therefore. We have to understand what's he talking about. Why is he telling us to be patient? Amen? So in verse 6, it says, you have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. James is speaking to those who are suffering, those who were being persecuted, exploited, right, and suffering. Because I don't know about you, some, when you find yourself in those moments, you say, God, how long? Like, how long I got to go through this? Like, don't you see I'm suffering? Like, like, how long, right? And we have to be mindful that now he steps in and James says, okay, be patient. Be patient. He says, therefore, be patient, brethren. He's talking to believers. He's talking to the brothers. He's talking to the church. But but it's timeless. Like, you don't understand this because if you're not in Christ, when you're going through these things, you're impulsive. You're impatient. You want it to end. You you want it to medicate. You you want to grasp at things that will bring some, some leave, right, some moments of reprieve. And, And he says, he's speaking to the suffering from the consequences not of their own doing. Then in verse 8, he says this. He shares how we should act when things happen. He says, you also be patient. Establish your heart. Circle that word establish if you have your sermon max and you're following along. He says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, two things happen here. One is, the coming of the Lord, I've been saved since 1990. Since I've been saved, I've been saying, Jesus is coming. Now, I'm not one to say when he's coming. I don't know. Only the Father knows. Everybody got that? But I need to act as if he's coming tomorrow. Now, you didn't hear that one. Right? Because I'm not here to judge or anything like that, but God will look into your heart and know if you sincerely love him and want him in your life. You can come to church all you want. You can carry a Bobby. You can smell good, look good, but at the end of the day, if Christ is not ruling and reigning in your life, you're out there. You're on your own. So this coming of the Lord, he's kind of reminding or he's saying, hey, in the midst of everything that's going on in your life, be patient. Be patient. Be patient. He goes on to say what? The word established. If you circle that word established, it's really important to understand and be established in your heart. That simply means be still. Right? In the Greek, it talks about it, the word being strengthened. How many of us know that in the midst of our suffering, our strength comes from the now, you got to say that our strength comes from the Lord. No other place. Not from the bodeguero, not from the guy who gives you credit, none of that. It comes from the Lord. So when you find yourself in a moment in which you're suffering, you have to be still. You have to establish yourself and realize that God is with you. God is for you. He will not abandon. He will not forsake you. In the midst of the suffering, there is a plan, and the plan brings suffering, and you have to trust God that he has you in his hands. Amen? So be established. Look at your neighbor and say, establish yourself. 
Come on now, say it with an attitude. Establish yourself. You have to be able to stand on something that is a blessed assurance from God himself. God says, I'm with you. And if you haven't read the Bible, and I encourage you, from the beginning of it to the very end, there is suffering. There is suffering that happens. See, nothing, you don't get, like, like God is doing something, man. Like he's doing something. You're, you're, you're over here saying, oh, we, why me, God, why me? Why not you? Why not you? If God is trying to make you and mold you into the image of his son, you better believe that he's got to chip away and pull away and do what he's got to do in your life because you're a hot mess and you can't walk with him the way you're acting. Come on now. You just can't. So establish yourself in what? Be strengthened in your hearts in the midst of this. Amen? Be strengthened and believers know that our strength comes from the Lord. He goes on to talk about suffering is upon us, right? The strength we need to persevere comes from Jesus Christ. The psalmist had it right. You know what the psalmist says in Psalm 28, verse 7 through 8, it says this. The Lord is my strength. <laughs> Come on now. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am help. Now, they go, therefore, again, like, like, like because of that, because of that, that's the therefore, my heart greatly rejoices. And with my song, I will praise him. Now, this psalmist had to be crazy. Because you're telling me in the midst of my pain, what should I be doing? What should I be doing? I should be praying, nah, are you kidding me? What is wrong with you? Psalm, David, what was wrong with you? David wasn't exempt from suffering. David was pursued. David was, even in his own household, he was suffering. His son wanted his kingdom and started to speak to people at the gate saying, if I was king, I would take better care of you. Now, the only way to take over a kingdom is you have to Killed the king. That's my son. So he knew something, but what he's saying, in the midst of all this, in the midst of all my suffering, I have to rejoice and praise God. Now, you also have to understand that David had a history with God. Even in your present suffering, you have to understand that you suffered before and you got through it. Why? Because God was your strength. How quickly we forget what he's done for us in the past when we find ourselves in a present situation that we can't handle. We need to like roll the tape and we need to go back to that moment when you struggled and when you were suffering and things weren't going right. Who got you out of that? Who was with you? It was God. How quickly you get amnesia and you forget. It's selective amnesia. You remember what you want to remember. No, you need to remember as David remembers and he pens it in his psalm. He says, the Lord, the Lord is my strength. Therefore, I'm going to rejoice in the midst of this. You know why? Because he spared me from the lion. He spared me from Goliath. He spared me from Saul. He's going to get me out of this. He definitely going to get me out of this. You know why? Because suffering is part of the plan. And the plan brings suffering. Amen? Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Again, I circle the word grumble. I'm into words, so I like to see what the words mean and say to me and how they speak to me. If I don't understand it, I can't apply it in my life. Amen? So I want to make sure I understand. And this word grumbler is the same word we use for complainer. 
Come on now. Look at your neighbor and say, stop complaining. Amen. Right? Now, this is what it literally means. It literally means one who is discontented with his lot in life. Ooh. You grumble. You complain. Why? Because you don't like where you are in your life. Okay, can I just put it out there? Do something about it. Simple, right? Do something about it. But that word grumbling means don't complain against one another. Don't grumble against one another. What about you? What about this? No. Simply complaining is certainly, listen to me, certainly complaining is not a fruit of the spirit. Right? I don't add that to your list. It's not a fruit of the spirit. And you can complain to God, but you should not complain about God. I'll say that again. You can complain to God, but do not complain about God. Like he is sovereign. He knows your past, your present, and your future. He knows exactly what you need. He has a purpose. He meets you where you are, loves you so much, he's not going to leave you there. He begins this progressive, progressive change in your life, this transformation, slowly but surely. Listen to me. You're better today than you were yesterday if you were in Christ. You're better today than you were yesterday. If you weren't, we go back and look, learn from it, and move forward. Why? Because God is leading you somewhere. You know it's sad that God has to drag people to where he wants them to go? You ever see a little kid who wants a toy in a shopping place? Right? Can, oh, no, no. You know what I give that kid? Mm. Right? Let's go. I remember that happening one day, right? My, my, my sister's going through an aisle, and we had a nephew who just, just jumped when he didn't get what he wanted. Jumped himself, threw himself on the floor. My sister would tell me, I don't know what to do. I look at my parents today, and parents say, use your inner voice. I'm going to give you an inner voice. Right? It's called a wail. It's called a cry. But think about this. You're grumbling. You're complaining. Why? Because you're discontented in the light you like. What does the, the Bible tells us that we need to learn how to be content in what? In all things. I'm suffering. Be content. Right? If I'm in Christ, I'm suffering. Be content. He's with me. He is for me. He's not against me. Amen? Suffering comes. It's part of the plan. Amen? So I have to make sure that I understand that. And as he is with me, guess what I'm going to do? He is my strength. He is my helper. So therefore, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to take my eyes off of the situation and the condition and circumstance that's around me. And I'm going to believe what God has to say about me and about my life. Amen? If you don't see that, you have to read the stories in the Bible. You have to see. If you read the story of Joseph, one of my favorite stories, he takes him from the pit to the palace. And along the way, his brothers want to kill him. They throw him in a pit. They sell him off. And at the same time, now he's accused of doing something. He gets thrown in prison. And guess what? Suffering was part of the plan. Because he takes him from the pit to the palace. And in the palace, he's able to save all his people. And if along the way he checks out and says, yo, I'm out of here. I'm done. This ain't working for me, God. You ain't moving fast enough. Remember what I just said? Complain to God, but not about God. You're telling he's not moving fast enough? You think he wears a Rolex? No, man. No way. He knows exactly how long you need to stay in that first grade. He knows exactly how long you need to stay in that first grade. You know why? Because you haven't gotten to ABCs yet. You haven't learned to admit and believe and confess. You haven't learned how to do that stuff yet. So he's got to keep you there. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Glory be to God. 
Verse 10, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. When you read the prophets, you're going to realize that a prophet hears from God. Listen to me, because a lot of people are going around saying they're prophets. He hears from God, and then he delivers that message to the people. What I felt, and I felt this angst with the prophets, is that what God was telling them was going to happen, they were not exempt from it. Like he was telling them, Lord, you see those people stiff-necked, they ain't listening? I'm going to take them down. And the prophet got to say, no, please, take it easy. I'm going to go with them. So when the prophet is talking to people, his life is at stake too. And, and when you read it and you see these prophets laying on their sides, tearing their, 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 claw, you know, their, their clothes and putting sackcloth and ashes and screaming and yelling and saying, hey, repent. Hey, turn away from your wicked ways. Come on, guys, please. I don't want to go in captivity. But guess what? His suffering, his suffering was linked with the people's suffering. But God had a plan with it. God was moving. He said, I'm going to make a people who are not a people a nation. And I'm going to be their God, and they're going to be my people, and they're going to call on my name, and they're going to honor me and worship me. Amen? So be my, then verse 11, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Bible says that in Revelations, Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. He's talking about for those who have endured, those who persevere. Listen to me. Don't check out. Look at your neighbor and say, don't check out. Don't check out. Yeah, don't, don't check out. You know, it, Here's one that we all understand. All understand. Stay until the miracle happens. Come on now. Come on. Don't, 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 don't leave. Don't leave. Please. Don't, don't go. I know. I know. You don't like the person next to you, the person behind you. I know. You haven't got touched by the love of God. I got you. But guess what? Make yourself open to receive that love because here's what happens. He gives it to you. You should give it to others. God loves you. It's not supposed to stay in you. It's supposed to be this conduit. This river flows through you so you can give everybody else the opportunity to experience that love. There is a world that craves love. Listen to me. We all have craved love. And some of us have looked for love in the wrong places. Only to be hurt and then say, I'm never loving again. And that's the moment that God has to come into your life and begin to say, hey, listen, that love that you were looking for, you should have been looking at me. You should have been looking for me. I'm the one that you should be loving. You see why? Because I'm never going to hurt you. Come on now. Come on now. Somebody, somebody just dropped. I'm never going to hurt you. And that's the kind of love that we're always looking for. And we wind up loving people that don't know how to love. We wind up giving our hearts to people that are not ready to hold our hearts. And you have to be mindful that he's saying here, he's saying, I count them blessed who endure. Those who wait on me, he goes on to say, you have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. I got to pause here for a moment to walk you through Job because a lot of you may not know his story. And let me tell you something. If I hear you say that you're suffering by Job, I'm going to kick you. You get people wind up, you know, throwing a pity party and says, you don't know, Pastor, I'm suffering like Job. And I'm like, suffering like Job? Let me share with you how Job started. It says in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the land of us there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless. Somebody say blameless. blameless. And upright, he feared God and shunned evil. 
He has seven sons and three daughters, and he owns 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen. That means twice as much because a yoke of oxen is two. And 500 donkeys. Now, why is he giving us all these numbers? We're going to see. He had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. And one day when Joe's son and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the oxen were, gra the oxen were grazing, right? The donkeys were grazing nearby. And the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword. That means they killed them. And I am the only one has escaped to tell you. Okay, so what did he lose already? He, he lost the, the oxen, right? We see the numbers if you're not tracking. He just lost, according to this, 500 oxen. Okay? And 500 donkeys. That's cool. I got other stuff. I'm all right. No problem. Verse 16. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. What did he just lose? Sheep. Some more servants. Verse 17. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed their raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword. That means they killed them. And only I was the only one to escape. Everybody see this? Verse 18, while he was still speaking, yet another servant came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Now if you tell me you're suffering like Job, we're going to have a problem. Suffering is part of the plan, and the plan brings suffering. In verse 20, at this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in what? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Did we just hear what happened? And he falls down in the ground in worship? What is this guy on? Like, like, you put yourself in that situation. Like the first hit, boom, I got there, no problem. I got a bunch, I can reproduce those oxen and donkeys, boom, I get another hit, boom. But now you're telling my, my, all my kids are gone. Who's to continue my legacy? But look what he does. And he says this as he worships, and we've heard it before. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away my name. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with his wrongdoing. He didn't complain about God. He complained to God. In the process from chapter 1 to chapter 42, you begin to see him and it gets worse. It gets worse after that, his body gets afflicted. He breaks out in boils, and he's picking up shards from the ground to scratch himself, and he's making it worse and worse. Come on, you've got to get a visual here. This guy was suffering more than anyone has ever suffered outside of Christ and the cross. And he says this, 
Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of everything that's going on. I will not speak against him. Even when his wife says, why don't you curse God and die? Even when his friends, whoa, 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 I just said friends. Even when his friends said, you must have done something wrong, bro. Like, really? All this that's going on? Does everybody know that in the Bible it shows that someone was blind from birth, not because anyone did anything, but for the glory of God. Amen? So he goes on in verse 12 to 17, and this is where, again, suffering is part of the plan. Plan brings suffering. He says this. So the Lord, this is chapter 42, towards the end of the book. He says, so the Lord blessed Job at the end of his life more than at the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. You see that? God also gave him seven more sons and three more daughters. And he named his daughter specifically. It's important for us to know that because what he did was what a father, at that time is something that we didn't do. He made his daughters part of their inheritance. He gave them an inheritance. At that point, it was the older one, and the older one was supposed to distribute that. He felt, you know, right to do it, but he took care of his daughters. And it says, in all the land, there were no other girls as lovely as the daughters of Job, and their father put them into his will along with their brothers because he didn't want them to depend on anybody else. He said, I'm going to take care of my girls now. And he says, watch this, Job lived 140 years after that, living to see his grandchildren and great-grandchildren too. Then, at last, it says at last, why? Because the plan that God had was fulfilled. An old, old man, after living a long, good life, he went to sleep. Suffering is part of the plan. The Bible says that we're seated in heavenly places when we come to Christ. He gives us a new perspective. He allows us to see things anew. And we have to be able to step back from the moments and say, okay, God, not why is this happening? What do you want me to do as you work through my life? As my son continued with his condition, he began to go to our hospital visits with a different attitude. He began to see what God wanted to use us for. My wife began to speak to the people that were in the next bed who probably did not have the hope that we had, or the faith that we had, and how important it is for us to realize that there is a plan that God has in the midst of our suffering, and we're not exempt from it. Amen? Amen. And then finally, we all heard this, and it's not exactly what it means. A lot of times we say, well, you know, make a decision that you yes be yes and you no be no. This yes is regarding the faith that you have. Because if you say you're proclaiming that you believe in God and you trust God, but when you find yourself in suffering, you're wavering, that's your no, that's your doubt. He's saying, listen, let your yes be yes. You're going to trust me? Then trust me. You're going to trust me? Then, you know, trust me. But don't say you trust me out of one side of your mouth and another side of your mouth you don't trust me. Don't don't say you're going to honor me and then the other side you're going to honor me. There's a duplicity. There's a dichotomy that happens there in which you're vacillating. And I got to tell you something. The Bible says the person who doubts receives nothing. Nothing. You can't come to God and say, if you can help me, God. Because he's not listening to that. You got to come to the throne of God boldly proclaiming that already which you're asking God. God, according to your will, by your stripes, we are healed. We have been
been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We have to begin to proclaim that. Like God doesn't need to be reminded. We need to remind ourselves what God has said. He is faithful to his word. And because he's faithful to his word, he is not man that he would lie to you or deceive you. He is God. Sovereign, in control, knows all things, sees all things, and is everywhere at all times. And because of that, he can be trusted. He doesn't know how to do anything else. He is faithful. See, God makes you able, but he can't make you faithful. You have to walk in faithfulness. Amen? Amen. Fast forward. There's one who left his throne. Left his heavenly throne. Came into the limitations of a human body. Was persecuted. Beaten. Ultimately nailed to a cross. Suffering. He did all this to redeem you and me. See, there was no other way. There was no other way to redeem us from the wages of sin, which was death. And not just a physical death, but a separation from God. If you're living a life without God, you're a sin. If God is not in your life, if you haven't surrendered to Jesus Christ, you're on your own. And God has already put up signposts and he's pushing and he's prodding. He's trying to guide you to him so that you can say, oh yeah, yes, this is what, I, this is what I've come to, this is what I need. But there was one who suffered the ultimate death. And he did nothing wrong. Like I can see someone who's done something wrong, right? Like I, I can see that, but he did nothing wrong. But heal people, feed the hungry, resurrect the dead, bring love into a loveless society, bring purpose and reason into the lives of people. And for that, he was hated. For that, he was persecuted. For that, he was beaten. But suffering, suffering is part of the plan. Plan brings suffering. An intended end. You're not supposed to succumb. It says, I will walk through the shadow of the valley of death. It's a shadow. It's not death. You shine the light of Jesus in that moment and that shadow leaves. Why? Because he is for you. He is not against you. He is making and molding you. He's got to get your attention. And a lot of times, because you want to do what you want to do, God's got to pinch you in some area of your life. He pinched us and got our attention through our son. My son, I'm not supposed to be here. Doctors told us, take him home. Enjoy whatever time you have with him. Not supposed to live past three years old. Devil's a liar. My son just turned 31. <laughs> Suffering still a part of our lives. We suffer well, though. We suffer different. We hear the words of Jesus echoing, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. Amen? 
We're going to transition now to our communion. But if you're in this room.